Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today's guest is Nick Denby, an American film, television, commercial actor, model, and former athlete. He's best known for his leading roles in feature films, as well as his campaigns for a number of international leading brands, including Call of Duty, MW, Nike, Reebok, Adidas, Old Navy, and more. All right, welcome to Model Mentality. I'm here with Kai Braden and our guest, who I'll talk about in a second, Kai was a guest on Model Mentality recently, and his episode really had me and him and I discuss this, thinking more about traditional stereotypes of masculinity and where those create a barrier and may get in the way of people getting the help they need. And so Kai is going to be a guest co-host for our Model Mentality series on masculinity and mental health. So Kai, thank you so much for joining me again. I'm so happy to do this with you. Yes, absolutely. We had such a great conversation uh, when I was a guest speaker on Model Mentality, and I am honored and thrilled to be a co-host for the next three episodes. I'm so excited. You guys um, get ready for some awesome guest speakers. I love it. And I'm so happy that you're doing this. And we all miss Bridget. And one day, you know, you guys will meet. One of the things I want to hear before we bring on Nick is why did you select him as a guest for this series? Well, I think Nick knows that I think so highly of him. Um, And, you know, when you asked me to brainstorm guest speakers for this mini series on masculinity and mental health, it wasn't hard. Um, Nick was somebody that I immediately thought of because I truly believe he is a man of integrity, both in business and his personal life. He is authentic, honest, and strong in all senses, which in my eyes are true, rep- a true representation of what masculinity is. Oh, I love that. All right, let's bring Nick on. Nick, can you hear us? Yes. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Nick. It's so nice to meet you here. Um, and thank you so much for coming on to Model Mentality. 
No, thanks for having me. I, that was a big introduction. That's a, I got a lot of big shoes to fill after that. I'm like, I'm a little nervous now. You got to be nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. This is just a conversation and we're going to jump right in. So Nick is an actor and a model. And Nick, the first thing I like to ask all of my guests, you know, what interested you or compelled you to come onto this podcast, knowing that we focus on mental health and this one masculinity and mental health? I mean, I think in the, the sphere of mental health, as far as men are concerned, there's not a lot of discussion, uh, open discussion and dialogue about about those things. Um, I know in my circle of friends, which is really tight, we we kind of talk about those things more than than maybe the mainstream media or um, other alternative sources of news that are out there you just don't get a lot of conversation about it. So I, I thought it was, it'd be great to come on and, and talk and discuss those things with one of my best friends and, um, you know, some very intelligent people like, like yourself and Bridget. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was, it was a great chance for open dialogue. And, you know, you said something, so I'm just going to ask you right away. What is it about you and your group of friends that maybe you talk more about it than the general public? I think that I have a very open relationship with my group of friends. Um, you know, I come from an athletic background and, you know, so, so those places are more of a traditional man's type of place, you know, especially playing football and things like that. But the one thing about those places that not a lot of people know is there's some of the kindest, gentlest, loving people that you'll ever have that come out of those places. Um, some of my best friends from college are some of the most amazing, beautiful people I've ever met, loving, compassionate. And and that does you don't think about that when you're watching guys out on the field trying to kill each other. So uh, <laughs> but going through those battles creates that closeness and that that more openness amongst each other. And so I think that's probably why we have such a more open dialogue with each other about those type of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm very interested in hearing more. And can, can you tell us you were an athlete in college and also professionally? Tell us a yeah, little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I played uh, at Eastern Washington in college. Uh, it's a small D1 up in Washington State. Um, was a four-year player there, three-year starter, had a great career. And then I played uh, after college in the Arena League for a couple of years professionally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And being part of like a culture of athletes. I mean, you mentioned that you go through a lot, therefore you're probably pretty tight, but what about emotional health? Um, in the, in the athletic sphere, uh, obviously a lot of it is, you know, push through fight through, but when you're going through that together, it, it draws you closer to the people that you're with. You know, our, our team was a bunch of misfits in college. It was a bunch of guys who, you know, uh, didn't get to the places they wanted to be. And we all came together and won some Big Sky championships. But it, it was it was that that openness and, like I said, just those hard-fought battles together that made you appreciate that that guy next to you is going to go through the fire with you. And when you go through that fire, that physical pain, that physical, you know, of exercise and, and, and fight together, it opens that, uh, awareness of emotions and feelings too because you feel all types of emotions while you're playing a game you know when you win you feel amazing and it's the best feeling and when you lose you feel like it's it's never going to go away 
And so when you have those emotions there, they tend to lead off the field in, in your closeness with your brothers as well. So mm. I, I experienced a lot of just a fundamentally positive things from those experiences. And I would second Nick's philosophy on how strong of a community there is in fitness. Um, coming from a fitness background myself through martial arts, Taekwondo and CrossFit for so many years, I think that through struggle, we find camaraderie and, uh, and it, it's, it's a really beautiful, powerful thing. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I have two young children and they were noticing it was like a, a game I think it was a basketball game they were like why are the men crying why are they those big guys crying and it is the one place where you expect it it's common like loss or winning right in big championships and I thought that was an interesting pickup because maybe it is a safe space like you're describing a safe space to be emotional whether it's about you know bonding or winning or losing or what all of it means, like working hard together for a goal. And yeah, the experience of that. Yeah, it's probably the pinnacle of emotion, right? Like, um, you know, there's when you've given everything that you have inside of you emotionally, physically, and, and all that to a specific thing, and it either pays off or it doesn't. You're either re rewarded or you're not. You know, I think that 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 loss hurts so bad because you've given everything you can possibly give. And that win is is so amazing because, you know, you've given everything you could possibly give and now you're rewarded for it. So, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy that between wins and losses and and how that relates to emotion from athleticism and that experience. How did tell me a little bit how you uh, became a model, how you began what it's meant to you as part of your career. I'm gonna be honest with you, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't know anybody in LA and I just, uh, I had one, I think I, I knew one person who lived in Orange County. He's like, hey, why don't you move down here and try it? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go try it. Um, so I moved here two days later and it was very blessed to just meet a couple of the right people at the right time to get me agents. And then it just kind of started from there. Uh, I still think I have no idea what I'm doing. I've been at it like 13 years now. And every time I go to set, I'm like, I don't know why you guys hired me, but I'll do the best I can for you. Oh, Nick's being modest. Um, he's a pro. <laughs> you know, what is a pro anyway? It's just, just doing things repetitively for a time. But yeah, that's kind of how I started. I just jumped right into it. And a lot of lucky breaks to get me uh, going in the beginning and a lot of struggles in between there of not working and then working and then not working at the typical ups and downs of life um, and career. So, but that's kind of how it began. I just moved to LA. That's, that was the main <laughs> thing you have to do is just be, be in the space where this stuff happens. Yeah. And I, what you're describing, I mean, the, let's say lack of continuity of work or pushing to get work both as a model and an actor like what keeps you in the game i always say that my story will be you know what i was dumb enough to keep showing up <laughs> i was just you know that i was just that i was just that dumb enough that i still believe that anything is possible and i just kept showing up so that day when i when i hit those those milestones and goals is like yeah how did how did it I, I don't know i kept showing up i just didn't stop and i just you know kept coming 
Yeah. And I asked Kai this too. So I'm going to just ask you. So between modeling and acting, which do you get more gratification out of or satisfaction? I, I think they're, they're equally as amazing. You get, to, you get to take somebody's idea that was created in their brain and bring it to life in some form or another, whether it's, you know, modeling or acting. Obviously, I think, I think the most fulfilling thing is creating your own projects and, and making those things come true because they just mean more to you personally and, you know, they come from your heart. So I would say that's, those are the main ones. But if you can take someone's idea and, and get exactly what they had in their brain out for them, I, I think this is just a beautiful process. So I, I really enjoy both of them, honestly. Speaking yeah. of, um, you know, creating your own project, you created your own project called Shiloh's War, uh, which is a film about a soldier who's lost faith and brotherhood yeah. after being left behind in battle. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to produce, direct, and act in that awesome film? Oof. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. It is fire. Um man so again i i missed the camaraderie of brotherhood of of having a singular focus with a group of people and striving toward that goal and so that's kind of where the story comes from of this guy who loses faith in brotherhood and the last the last straw was him being left behind and so now he's given up on the whole thing and as he travels he comes across another soldier and they kind of travel together through this thing. And it's a, uh, it's um, the other soldier's motivation is to bring him back to believing in brotherhood. And so, you know, just missing that was my idea to push the creation process of that. And it was like something that was, again, really close to my heart. I really believe strongly in brotherhood. I really have that relation and, and missing that was something that drove me to this creative outlet of something that I also enjoy doing. So it was like, I got to fulfill so many different things um, inside of myself by creating this project. And uh, I think it turned out all right. <laughs> uh, and how can we watch it? Uh, it's on YouTube. So if you just look up Shiloh's War, it'll it'll come up there. Um, it's about 20 Perfect. minutes. It's it's a, a, lot of, a lot of wonderful people worked on that. And I really have to give them most of the credit. You know, all, all I did was the smaller stuff it without those people and their creative juices flowing and their ideas if this would not have been the project that it turned out to be but I, it looks amazing it sounds amazing it has an original score built from scratch from a guy who played all the instruments it's you know it's i feel like it's top notch and and i'll, I'll take pride in that I'll, I'll take pride in if there's a sequel there's a role for me, right? There, there will be, there will be a role. I'm trying to get feature fund money right now, so let's do it. Let's see, yeah. Any anybody ready to invest in in this? You feel like that's worth an investment, right? You know, you know where to find it. No, that's incredible. And look, you were saying like you as a model and actor, you help manifest other people's visions. Well, you had your own vision, and these other people helped you manifest yours. So I think that's a beautiful full circle. And you know, just switching back a little bit to athleticism and modeling and acting what did you notice specifically as working in, a, in the modeling industry in terms of your experience of body image 
um, or how that affected you psychologically. And the backstory here is that many of our guests have been women. And often what comes up is that if you're measured, if your success is measured by what size you are, right, how skinny you are, then inevitably that becomes something that you aspire to. But then there's the issue of eating disorders and all of, all of that, which becomes a risk. And I'm wondering for you as a man in your career, having been an athlete, what, hap- what happened for you? What was your observation? Mm. Um, yeah. So when I first came into modeling, I was coming straight out of football. So I was about 200, 205 pounds. I was enormous. And uh, um, I met with the agent. And the first thing he said was, listen, you either have to lose weight or you're going to have to gain weight and be a fitness model. That's your two options. Because right now you're in between and you can't sell a car and you can't be on the cover of muscle and fitness. And so uh, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, you know, whatever. This is just kind of what you do. And I decided that I was going to lose weight. So I lost, I would say, around close to 30 pounds. I'm about 175 now, which is, is a much healthier weight for me and, and much better physically for me than being so big. Um, but that was the first time where it was ever a thing of, hey, you need to lose weight. You know, I, like I said, coming from an athletic background, it's, you need to get, gain weight and be as big and strong as fast as you can. So... Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I, I did it over the course of, I'd say, I don't know, three, four years. I would lose like five, six pounds a year. I didn't, I didn't rush it or anything like that. Like a lot of people do when they hear those things, they, I tried to go about it a healthy way so that my body adjusted with me as I slowly lost the weight. Um, I will say losing the weight, I did begin to work a lot more. So, and I don't know if that's just the thing that it looks better on camera or, you know, what it is. I think that's probably the main thing. And also, you know, there's not a lot of people just walking around just jacked. So that, uh, yeah, but that was my first experience as far as as the weight and things go. Um, For me, I didn't take it as a, a personal thing, an unhealthy thing. Uh, I just kind of took it as part of the job so i can see how the pressure on um women is a lot stricter for sure uh especially with the sample size clothing they create and and things like that but yeah and what you're describing how how tall are you i'm six feet yeah so six feet and 175 that's not unreasonable right it's not I mean, I guess it's a healthy weight and I guess the difference is right in among the women I've spoken to the place they need to go is like as skinny as possible or a weight that's not like an average weight or dress size. I think it's a little different perhaps than the expectations among male models. Yeah. I mean, I think the expectation for male models is like, you know, you, you need to be as ripped as you can be not necessarily big, but just like lean, lean and ripped. You know, that's, I mean, personally, for my personal health, I like staying this way anyway. I'm, I'm very lean um, and muscular, and I try to stay as strong as I can at this size. And, you know, it, it looks, I can put clothes on and look normal, and I can take clothes off and look weird, as my grandma would call me. <laughs> uh, she likes to say that, you look weird. I said, yeah, I know, grandma. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's for me personally. Again, um I, I could see 
and I have seen the effects of, you know, um, eating disorders and, and people where they really internalize what people are saying and take it really personal that they have to go to these extreme measures. And I don't know if that's healthy. Um, so I want to pass um, the mic to Kai for a deeper dive on masculinity. We've created a series of questions that we're going to ask different guests. So Kai, take it away. Yes. So, you know, Ali and I had discussed three questions in which we felt would be really interesting to ask our three guests, um, our first being Nick, um, and just to see different perspectives, you know, and, you know, your perspective comes up from, you know, your upbringing and also your experience and where you live and the people you interact with. So when I was a guest speaker, uh, a couple episodes on model mentality, I shared my experience um, being sexually assaulted in 2006 by an agency referred photographer. It was a traumatic experience, something that I never envisioned I would have to deal with. It was always something, you know, that I heard and, you know, was saddened by, but not something that I thought would be a part of my life. And I guess, you know, we live life thinking this is where the direction we're going to go, but that's never the case. Um, so, you know, one of the main reasons why I didn't come forward for a long time about my story um, being sexually assaulted is because I didn't want to be perceived as a victim. I, for some reason in my head, I don't know if it's just social norms or uh, just something that I've created myself in my head, but being a victim wasn't masculine. Um, and as someone who identifies as a man, um, I was fearful of being colored as a victim. I didn't want to be weak or um, a problem. I, I didn't want that to define who I, I was. And so I, I didn't come forward with my story um, until much later. And if you do have a chance or if you've already listened to the episode, um, you, you'll understand why I did. I um, basically, to sum it up, I heard that other models were um, sharing their stories with the same photographer. And I figured if I shared my story, then maybe we can help prevent this um, for future generations. And so knowing my story, Nick, um, would you feel comfortable or do you feel like the fashion industry from your experience is an industry that is inviting or offers support for um, instances like mine? You know, you've heard my story. You know me very well. Um, do you feel like when you started or now, um, were there opportunities for you to um, seek support or, um, or, you know, pursue mental health? Mm. I mean, I think when I first started, which is like over a decade ago, we we're in a completely different time frame than we than we are now. You know, the Me Too movement hadn't gained any traction at that point. It was still kind of a free for all. And, and it wasn't outside the norm of things that you heard about these places in the industry. Um, I think now we're in a much 
stronger state of support and things like that where you can come out and discuss these things openly and not be you know ostracized for it or blacklisted from the industry you know obviously back in the day people were just getting shut down and completely shut out um and also agents and 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 different people in that world knew what was going on or were a part of what was going on and you know with, with the change in times i think now more than ever it's a lot easier to come forward and discuss topics like that and experiences that you know weren't the best experiences on sets or with people um yeah i would agree with that um do you find that there's you know any pressure to come forward or or rather to not say anything as a man versus a woman for me personally, I don't feel any pressure either way, honestly. I've, I mean, obviously, I've shot with that photographer as well. So I know uh, I didn't have this, uh, an experience like you had, but I could see how that experience could happen very easily with that individual. Um, and there's so many other photographers in that room. I think, you know, people get into these career fields and these positions not to abuse power, but to use power. Mm. And then it turns into, once you get power, people don't really like to give power back. So it can turn into an abusive thing. And, you know, I, I can I can see how you're right on the edge of crossing a boundary and moving into a very unhealthy place when you get caught up in those things. Absolutely. Um, do you feel that there is less focus on male protection or um i guess less resources on 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 you know seeking help um for men versus women or um or just in general yeah i mean absolutely i would have to think that there's i'd say i to be honest if something did happen to me as a male model right now i don't know where i would go to besides telling my friends, like I, 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 I probably wouldn't tell my agents about it. I probably wouldn't have a conversation with, you know, any production people or anything like that. I would, I would, I don't know where I would go or how I would address that. So I, is there a, is there steps in place to protect, you know, male models as well on set? I mean, obviously we've all been in some precarious situations, Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, especially your situation is, is much worse than anything I've ever experienced, but I've also been in some situations where I was like, you know, this ain't right. And what's going on here? And I've actually had to call my agent to come to set one time. Cause mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on here. This was not agreed to in any of the contract. And I need you to come down here and take care of this. And mm -hmm. she, she came down and was there probably 15 minutes later and was on set to protect me. So, uh, did I want to make that call? Not really. But also I was like, you know what? What's going on here? I need to protect myself at the end of the day that no one else is looking out for me here. Right. So let me get somebody who's also in my corner. So I did have my agent come down. Actually, one of the first key things is to have that person to go to for support. Like in your case, it was your agent. And mm -hmm. that's amazing. You know, in Kai's case, he was at the beginning of his career, young, new, excited, 
And then it's hard to know if you're that young in your career, sometimes I'm not, not speaking just for Kai, but it's hard to know who to go to or who to trust when your agent has been endorsing, you know, this pathway or whatever it was, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's having the protection in the workplace. Sorry. I ahead. do want to highlight that this was an agency referred photographer. So I went into it thinking this was supposed to happen or this was okay. Mm. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I've been in some of those situations, which is one of the reasons I, I didn't stay in New York. I found New York was just like one of the um, more abusive places in, in the modeling career path field. I was like, there's, this is, at least LA, they'll smile at you and, and be nice about it. New York, they're not going to smile at you or be nice. It's just going to be aggressive. So I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. You know, I like, it's, it's a, uh, and it's hard because at that time when I went to New York, I was very green and new and I had no idea about these things either. And it's like, you know, agents saying, Hey, you know, these guys are going to want to shoot you naked. Are, are you comfortable with that? And, you know, st just, just, stuff like that where you're like well i guess so i don't know i guess this must be part of the deal you know no one's ever told me otherwise no one's ever said that this is not part of the deal and when you bring it up to anybody else they're like oh yeah that's yeah yeah you know that's that's normal right. so you just you you go in with it like yeah this is the norm and then you think about it later and you're freaking mad at yourself at home like what the heck man i i, I sold myself out my own morals and values for a possibility of work or a possibility to shoot this great photographer who shoots everybody and it's this illustrious thing of like, oh, well, he did that last campaign for that. Oh, you know, if you shoot with him, he might, you know, oh, well, I better shoot with him. And then you get home and you, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, no, that's not right. You feel it's not right the whole time. And then you beat yourself up later about it because you did it. You did, you did do the shoot or you did you know, compromise your moral value somehow. And then, you know, you, you, you beat yourself up over it and it's really not your fault. In terms yeah. of your moral values, um, how would you tie that into what you define for yourself as masculinity? I mean, that's a, that's a tough question to define uh, masculinity because I, I feel like you know it, it can mean so many different things to so many other people I, I think you know I just carry myself with um, a lot of honesty uh, respect um, love for everybody and just trying to be the best person I can be in every facet of my life you know and it just so happens I'm a man and that I do carry myself in a very masculine way. Um, not to say that I don't have feminine qualities as we all do. I think there's a yin and yang balance between everything in life. But um, yeah, just, just being a man of my word. And I, I guess I, I get a lot of, a lot of my values from my grandfather. Cause he was, I was, a, grew up in a single parent household and my grandfather was like my father. So he's old school air force, you know, um, just a, just a good, a good guy. And every time we'd go out places, everyone recognized him. He, he was everywhere we went. Someone would be like, Oh, 
his name's Duke. Oh, Duke. Hey, how you doing? You know, he always just had this, this, this strong masculine energy about him, but he was also, you know, very loving and gentle. So I kind of got to see both worlds and I, 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 he's my hero and I try to emulate the way he carries himself as much as I can. The main character in your film, Shallow's War, is named Shallow Duke, right? Yep. And is, it's, yeah, it's named is that after, a connection? Yeah, okay. it's named after my, my grandfather. Cool. So, yeah. We're best friends. I learned something new about yeah, you every yeah, day. Yeah. Um, beautiful. In terms of toxic masculinity, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you feel like there are stigmas into being a man, whether it be in fashion or just to in today's day and age with, mm. you know, cancel culture and like being able to speak up and express yourself as a man, but not wanting to mm -hmm. overstep on, on toes. Mm -hmm. I think toxic masculinity is a phrase to describe a man who's an asshole without actually calling him an asshole. I don't know that I, that I really believe that there's a such thing as toxic masculinity. I think there's masculinity, there's femininity. I don't know that there's toxic, but I think there's a lot of people who are, have a lot of issues, you know, as people do. And, and to label it, if we label it like that, I, I think it undercuts a lot of the great guys out there who do tend to do more masculine things and get, and then they get grouped into this toxic masculine place. It's, it's, it's not, it's just, we just are, we're people and put, trying to label, put a giant label to group in a lot of people. I don't know that that's the best idea. I think we're all just people. We're all trying to be the best people we can be. And we all feel and, and, and have experiences in our life that lead us to these places. And, you know, yeah, there's, there's, listen, 10% of people are probably 10% of everybody's probably there's, there's bad people out there. They're awful. 10% are the most amazing people you'll ever meet. They change the earth. Like, you know, the Malcolm X's and the Martin Luther King's and Mother Teresa's. And then 80%, 80% is where most of us live at. I'm just trying to be the best we can be. So I don't, I don't know that I'd necessarily like to put a label on something to, to generalize everything. It's unfortunate that we, you know, have these stigmas or stereotypes of masculinity. And I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on how it affects men or you or, you know, I can speak for myself as well mm. in, in the industry and whether it be in the fitness industry or acting or modeling, um, how that they would affect us seeking help um, in regards to, you know, mental health support. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, you're taught, we're all taught as men to just, you fight through it. You, you buckle down, you don't complain, and you just, you go about it. I tend to like look at things on a, on a positive perspective. I know you do as well as like, yeah, this sucks right now but there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, whatever, whatever goes up must come down and whatever's, it's just a dichotomy of life on how things flow. And, you know, if you can keep that positive mental state of, hey man, I can get through it, you know, then that's a great step in the right direction. But also I look at mental health as 
why not have a therapist? Why not talk to a third party, non-biased perspective and, and get what they think about it? Why not get as many sources, resources as you can to, to help those things? You know, like I bring it back to sports because I think it relates very well. The best basketball players in the world have a coach. Why? Because he's on the outside. He can see things that you don't see while you're in the heat of the moment, emotional in that game. And he can point out and say, hey, look, they're doing this. We need to do this. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah, great. And so I, I think about that on, on every perspective is that even if they're the best at whatever you're the best at, having a coach, having somebody look from the outside can't hurt. It can't hurt. It can only make you better and more aware of the other things that are coming at you. So in regards to mental health, I think that, you know, everybody should get a, I like to call them coach, you know, yeah. get a mental coach, get, get somebody who can help you when you, when you don't have the answer and you've stewed in it, and you've analyzed it to death, get somebody to help you. Why not? Allie and I coined a term, at least I like to say we did, uh, <laughs> on our episode. Are you, um, are you taking credit for her? <laughs> <laughs> called <laughs> Mental Fitness. And um, I think you're, you're spot on, Nick. I think you're right. Everybody can benefit from having a coach or having you know professional guidance in that light. At the beginning of this podcast, I described from my sense of masculinity as um, strength. I think stre strength is one of the facets of masculinity in my eyes. And unfortunately, the stigma of being strong as a man is, mm. well, be strong, handle your own issues, deal with it and move on. And I think that is one of the stigmas, you know, in my head about being a man is, well, if I want to be a man and I, I want to be strong, then I should just handle it myself. So in that light, you know, that would, you know, cause me to feel that I shouldn't seek out help, but really it, you know, it can benefit us all. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to tell you guys something, cause I have a private practice also since 2008 and I see, you know, more women than men in my practice, but I have a lot of men in my practice as well. And there are some, you know, who come to see me. It's like the last resort, right? They've tried everything else, but they know they need to take this step. And they, some of them come in defeated, you know, feeling like they're a failure and that it's like a sign of weakness that they have to be in my office, let's say. And, you know, so many times I've said this phrase, you know, it's actually, it's a strength to admit that you need support. It's not a weakness. And I think that's where that stereotype of Kai and Nick, but what you're both describing, that self-reliance and that self-sufficiency, like I should just be able to power through this on my own. I think that does get in the way. And maybe I feel like the, I mean, this is just anecdotal and we could look at the science, but I feel like sometimes the men I've seen in my practice, they come like in a later stage of crisis, like more severe because they've waited so long and have tried so long on their own. When if, if it had been more acceptable to get help like a coach, you know, earlier, um, they wouldn't have had to go through all of that difficulty over a long period of time. Mm. That's interesting. I, I, yeah, I, that probably makes sense. I know I, before I went to see my therapist. Yeah, I've had a therapist. That's right. I'll do it again. Um, uh, yeah, I was I was at the the pinnacle of, you know, I'm out of ideas. I've read books. I self-analyzed. I spent 
meditation, just everything to the point where I was like, okay, let's just, let's, let's talk to somebody else about this. Let's get a, let's get a professional who does this and see what they have to say about it. And I, I don't know that it was necessarily, like you said, I'm, I feel strong and independent. I feel like I can do so many things on my own, you know, and I've accomplished so many things on my own that this is just another, another thing I can accomplish. And so, yeah, you probably do feel like a failure. I could see how you could feel like a failure when you get to this point of like, you know what? I couldn't do it on my own. I, I couldn't do it. And now here I am and I'm, you know, I'm feeling bad about it. And, you know, I, I did, um, you know, here I am. I got to come in here. You know, I need you now. And it's like, yeah, I, I could absolutely see how it gets to that point uh, rather quickly. Yeah. And I also, I'm just thinking while you're speaking, you know, you had that experience of being on teams, sports teams, where you mm. have that support, whether it's, a, whether it's your coach, another mm. coach on the outside, your teammates, people watching, maybe parents, you have this community around you that carries you to do what you mm. need to do. And if you take yourself out of that ecosystem, normal life, where I, I don't know about the two of you, but generally like religion is playing less and less of a role religious communities in our lives now that's not the case everywhere there's a lot of variability mm -hmm. but as we kind of get away from that as community and we have these digital communities or urban networks you know i i'm observing that people need more than just that like the concept of vi the village is gone and you have to like create your own village which might mean you need to like outsource and get the coach like you're saying for mental fitness or otherwise and Whereas maybe in like societies hundreds of years ago, the community around you was sort of providing that. I don't know, just food for thought. No, I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think community is essential and having a good community around you is, is absolutely, I mean, listen, that's what we're here for. At the end of the day, we're, we're, you're here to build relationships and have as much fun, as much love and light in your life as you can. You're not here to like, what are you going to do? You make $10 billion and then you die alone? Like, I don't, that doesn't sound very, very fun to me. I would like to have a, a, a nice group of beautiful people that will miss me when I'm gone. All right. So look, what I hear, I hear some themes in what both of you say. Kai, you said, you know, I didn't want to be a victim because that's not masculine. So I want to ask you about that in a second. And then I hear what you're saying, Nick, that okay, what is masculinity? It's who you are as a person. It's integrity, it sounds like to you. It's the way you live your life. Um, it's not just, you know, these traditional stereotypes of masculinity. But I guess what I'm curious, and maybe Kyle, I'll start with you because we didn't ask you, you know, that idea of masculinity that didn't, that got in the way of you seeking out help. What is masculinity for you? What has that meant and how has it been a barrier in getting help? There's a lot to how I define masculinity, but one of the main facets, as I mentioned, is strength uh, mentally, physically, in all facets, really. Um, and I was afraid of being, you know, perceived as weak. Um, weak in needing help from somebody else because I couldn't handle it myself. I couldn't deal with it um, emotionally. Um, and I, you know, 
just couldn't handle it. I think also, I mean, again, I only speaking for myself, but coming from, um, you know, a Chinese background, traditional Chinese culture, you don't show emotion. Um, you handle it, you deal with it and you move on showing emotion, showing is showing vulnerability, showing vulnerability, um, can be seen as weak. Um, we know, of course, that's not actually the case. And, and on the contrary, I find, especially as an actor, showing vulnerability is a sign of strength that you are, you know, you have a good self-esteem and you're confident in who you are as a person. Um, but that was definitely a, a limiting factor for me um, because I viewed and I still view masculinity as strength. But what I needed to do was redefine strength. Exactly. And that strength, part of being strong is working on yourself and I rebuilding, mean, right? Yeah, that's what I feel like I'm doing now. I feel like I'm in a therapy session right now. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that happens with a psychiatrist on the phone. <laughs> no. Um, okay. And Nick, what do you think, if anything, needs to change? You know, because you said therapy helps. Like, what do you want to tell people who are listening who might be ambivalent about getting a therapist, getting a coach? Like, what do you want to tell them? What's the worst that can happen? You get better. You're not going to get worse getting a coach. You're not going to get worse seeing a therapist. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a win-win situation, literally. You, you're, you're not going to lose anything. Well, a little bit of time invested in yourself to get better. That's not a loss. That's just a lesson and you're growing. And I, I just, just go for it. I think there's so many, again, all that, all that fear and, and, it's the fear of the unknown, right? We're all scared of what we don't know of what's going to happen. And we don't want to go in and, and get some diagnosis that you're not the best, strongest version of yourself right now. And, and that's scary. That scares a lot of people, I would say, away from pursuing those things is, is that fear of the unknown and being told they, they have a mental block of saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not the best I can be. I'm not good enough. And so, listen, no one's good enough. You know, you're always going to put yourself saying, I'm not good enough. You're always good enough. There is no good enough, not good enough. You're just existing. You're living and you're trying to become the best person you can be. So just go try it. It's the worst that can happen. You get a lot out of it. Wow, it's tough. Or maybe you don't get much out of it, but you did try it and you get a different perspective. Maybe I, I just think, I just think it's a win-win situation across the board. And what about you, Kai? How, how do you, what do you think you want to tell people again about, you know, connecting to a therapist or a coach if they're a little bit on the fence? We started this podcast discussing how beneficial it is to have a community, um, because through a community, we can grow as individuals stronger. Um, we can be the best versions of ourselves. And so to have resources more available and more socially accepted for men is imperative for our community to grow together. I agree. And I'm going to plug one resource that I found um, through colleagues of mine. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's called Everyman. So it's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N. 
And it's a great way for men to start. And they offer groups, so like peer groups. So it's not therapy, it's not exactly coaching, but it's a way to connect to other men and have that community virtually and have support. So I would say that's like an easy entry point. If anyone is listening and doesn't wanna do therapy, but they want a way into this connection, I highly recommend it. I've heard, I've never obviously sat in a session, but I've, I've heard really good things. Um, so I'll put those, those links as well in this episode. And um, another great uh, resource is through the Model Alliance, um, which is a nonprofit that I work with um, in regarding uh, the fashion industry. So for those of uh, you listeners who are models or creatives in the fashion industry, Model Alliance is, you know, working on ending the systemic problem of 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 the lack of availability for seeking out mental health. And we have our support page. It's modelalliance.org slash support. Um, and, you know, we're really trying to create an environment where models are treated fairly um, with dignity and respect. Beautiful. Nick and Kai, thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank you for um, having me as your co-host and and Nick. It was a pleasure as always chatting with you and get, getting to know you even more than I already already do. Um, are there any um, any ways in which we can connect with you through social or a website that you'd like to share? I mean, you can just connect with me on social media at Nick Denby. Pretty easy. Nice. Easy to find. Um, and you have a website board. website too. Website. Same thing, nickdenby.com. Yeah, nickdenby.com. Um, I know that you're working on a, a fashion endeavor called Undeniable Goods <laughs> that befits a savvy man of charm, charismatic confidence with an intelligent, informed approach to the world. Yeah. Um, sounds, sounds very masculine. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so check that out as well. No, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for letting me jump in. Um, it's been a pleasure and, uh, you know, so many good things can come from just having conversations and I don't think enough people get together and just have long form conversations about topics that may be touchy, I'll say. So thank you guys for allowing me to do that with you guys and it's been a blast. Now, let's get clinical. Kai Braden and I have been speaking with Nick Denby, and three things stand out to me from a clinical perspective. First, male stereotypes and social norms that get in the way of getting help. Second, the concept that you're stronger if you get help. And third, community is essential. So on the first, male stereotypes that get in the way, it's well known that men are less likely to seek out help for mental health issues, such as, to name a few, depression, substance use, sexual abuse and assault, and stressful life events. And yet, men are still affected by mental health conditions of all sorts. Culture and social norms often get in the way. And some of the most common stereotypes, such as strength, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, acting tough, and independence are implicated. I'm curious about what you witness in your culture. I know that in my culture, traditionally, women carry the emotion and men show strength. But what happens if that man goes through a deeply stressful event and needs help? He may shoulder the burden alone. He may power through and try to ignore it. He may feel shame by how he feels. 
and it may eventually overtake his ability to function. Depression, insomnia, and deep stress can set in, and we all know that if left unaddressed, the toll taken on the mind and body can be voluminous. But does it really have to be this way? Why does anyone need to wait so long to get help, as in Kai's case? This is what we're trying to change. So on the second, the concept that you'll be stronger if you get help, let's reframe those traditional male stereotypes and talk about strength. I loved what Nick said about athleticism and coaching. The best athletes in the world have extra coaches and support to guide them. So why wouldn't we get a coach or therapist to work on our mind, to contribute to our strength? And as Kai said, he had to reframe the concept of what strength is. So here it is, folks, the reframe. It's a strength to get help, to admit you need help, and to work on yourself with others at the helm. It's not a weakness. So on the third, let's talk about community as essential. What do I mean by that? Well, we know that social support and social networks are protective for our mental health. And therefore, if we can create more community around men and mental health and change the culture of what strength means, this can go a long way in people not feeling alone, not struggling alone, and not powering through vulnerability alone. Nick describes so clearly the power of his athletic community and the strength it gave him, the emotions he learned from it of winning, of losing, and being close to his teammates. And he himself says that in his circles, they talk about mental health more than the mainstream. Thanks to Nick and Kai for opening up on their perspectives regarding masculinity and mental health. Our hope is that by hearing their dialogue, you too may start to examine these traditional social norms that possibly could be holding you back from getting the support you need and the community you deserve. I can't say enough. I'm honored to have spoken with both Kai as my guest co-host for this series and Nick to hear his perspective on being an athlete and the foundation that was set for him, his experiences in the modeling industry, his integrity, and his view on the value of coaching and therapy. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios. 